What's your style? My style? You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. <laughs> Truly badass is developing the strength to be kind even when life is not so kind. And to me, that's what being tough is all about. All right, guys, welcome back to the America show. We're going to be talking with uh, the drunken Taoist himself, uh, Daniele Bellelli, a little bit later. Uh, but first, how's it going, Grab? I'm doing good, Darren. Yep. You That's all you got, got uh, with your uh, intro time you were so upset about last episode? I was expecting <laughs> something much more elaborate. Yeah, well, we've got Red Pill Junkie with us here in the intro. <laughs> How's it going tonight, Red? Hey, guys. Well, February starting, and it's already, you know, slipping away. Yeah, the groundhog fucking seen his shadow here. That's for sure. The one fucking sunny day of the week, and it's Groundhog's Day, and then it's minus fucking 30. This little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Get it again. So did you see our, uh, our flyer picks up there already? Uh, Red? Yeah. Wh- wh- where is that exactly? Vulcan. Where is that? That's a little town about, what is it, like 45 minutes or so? No, it's, it's about an hour, an hour and a half south. Yeah, 90 minutes south, south of Calgary, south, kind of southeast of Calgary. It's not on the main trail. It's on a little secondary highway. So how many people live there? I've never been there. Apparently you have. Apparently you've driven through quite a few times. Yeah, I was probably sleeping. Well, I've like gone the back way, but you don't go into the town. You're like on the outskirts of town and then you turn onto another fucking highway. Yeah, it's a pretty small town. A couple thousand or not even? Yeah, I think so. A couple thousand maybe. It's got a little like museum center there with Star Trek, all the Star Trek things. (laughs) They were called Vulcan before Star Trek, I think, and they just fucking ran with it. (laughs) Okay, so now it's it's populated by, by only by Trekkies. I don't think so. No, no I don't probably think so. mostly fucking farmers and rednecks. Yeah, totally. They're just using the Vulcan to, to get okay. some. Uh, yeah. So if I if I were to visit there, you know, wearing my Star Wars t shirt, I wouldn't risk uh, being <laughs> lynched. No, by a no, mob, no, an angry mob. No, no. you'd okay. be the only one there, probably though. <laughs> I don't know. Was there other people there when you were there? Not a lot, no. No, I, I don't think I was. I've, I think it's been on TV once or twice, just because it's like that was their little thing, for the Star Trek town. <laughs> well, it's a good way to start the the Grimerica Flyer campaign. Yeah, that's that's the global, the great gl- global Grimerican Flyer campaign. The great, gro- <laughs> the great global Grimerican Flyer campaign, twenty fourteen. Nice. Try and get the Grimerica Flyer. In 50 countries this year. Yeah. So far, we've got pictures from uh, two, I suppose. Jared hasn't sent us a picture one posted yet, but we know he printed out about 50. Yeah. Okay. But we did get one, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of the Atlantic from uh, from Jeff. Yeah, He's cousin a, Jeff. Yeah, cousin yeah. Jeff on a boat. 
going over the Atlantic, and he sent a picture of the flyer kind of on his map. On his map. Well, he's thanks. In, uh, in the cruise or what? No, he's uh, he's uh, on a on a boat uh, laying cable. Ooh. Yeah. Fiber optic. Something like that. Something high tech. I got another idea. I'll I'll have some more pictures up this weekend. Sweet. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get some other pictures too, and they won't all just be grams. But they were. <laughs> I I I, uh, I challenge you to beat the last batch. They were pretty good with the Enterprise. Thanks, buddy. Which who's which whose face did you cover? I don't know. You just chose the guy you didn't know. There's two empty of. holes, and I couldn't oh, get around to put my own face in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were good. I uh, keep them coming, guys. Hopefully, like I say, we want to get as many as we can. And uh, keep them coming. We'll see if we can get to 50 countries. So far, we've got, well, one and a half. We'll call the one in the, the Atlantic. Actually, we'll, if we give ourselves a half for the one in the Atlantic and a half for all the ones we've seen Jared printed out, that's two. They were in Canada and another two half countries. Mm. So, Red, we heard you on the Paracast on the weekend and, and also on uh, Radio Mysterioso Part 2. So I just wanted to say... Uh, while we're recording here that uh, you did a fantastic job. It was, uh, it was great uh, hearing you on another podcast. Thank you so much guys. And uh, as I've said before, you know, the reason I'm, I'm moving now uh, forward into trying to tell it maybe get uh, a little bit, a little bit more exposure. It's because of the confidence I've gained uh, through, you know, uh, becoming a part of the Great America show. Yeah, that's great. That's good to hear. We all kind of learn together. Yeah, I think you got a, a bright future, man. Uh, talking about that, you're, you're, it comes. Your audio comes through just as good as your writing. You know, your knowledge and and uh, the way you articulate everything. It's it's just superb. Oh well, superb. <laughs> so, what are you going to articulate for us today? Well. You know, you you were mentioning your cousin Jeff, who is right now somewhere in a remote part of the Atlantic. And one of the most interesting news that have been uh, coming lately is about one either very lucky or very unlucky individual, depending on how you judge it. Like a Mexican guy named Jose Alvarenga, who spent the last... 16 months lost in the sea. 16 months? 16 months. He, he went out on his boat uh, on Mexico in late 2012, was blown out to sea, and survived on the open ocean until washing ashore about 5,000 miles away in the Marshall Islands on January the 30th. The guy apparently survived by, you know, uh, catching fish, birds, and turtles. And when rainwater was scarce, he didn't have any choice but to drink the turtle, the, the blood of the turtles, and his own, his own urine. Urine. So, urine. <laughs> so talk about, you know, an amazing tale of, you know, resilience and you know surviving against all odds you know? so he was on a boat the whole time 
Yeah, and apparently the first month he was uh, accompanied by some other teenage Mexican dude who Got eaten? didn't know. He, well, <laughs> I hope he didn't. He ate him. <laughs> hopefully not, but I, I guess that the guy died shortly Ooh, after they were lost. Yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. And then when he got back, his wife had had, had married another guy. He what? Come he, on. No, he, he hasn't come back yet. He's he's still in a very delicate but stable state. He's been tended there on the Marshall Islands. You know, I suppose that eventually he'll return to Mexico and he'll be given like a hero's welcome. And obviously, there are a lot of people who are, you know, obviously there will be, always be skeptics in the bunkers in every type of situation. And some people are calling shit on all, bullshit on all these, you know. They're saying that that there was group. no tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It, you know, you just have to go back to that. You know, to, to the movie The Life of Five, which I <laughs> I particularly enjoyed a lot. And I and I for the record, you know, I choose I choose a story with a tiger. Yeah. So the skeptics are not believing that he was out there for that long. Yeah, apparently that's what they're saying. You know, I haven't read a lot about this case, uh, only through very brief notes printed on me- on the Mexican news. Is that the also, picture of him there, Darren? Yeah. Is that a- is that something a lot of people fake? He doesn't look uh, like he's been sunburned too bad. He looks like a uh, Paul Kilmer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. When he was making, when he did the movie of uh, The Doors, you know? He, yeah, he yeah. Just, uh, like when he was playing the part of uh, an elderly and bloated Jim Morrison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Riders on the storm. <laughs> that was a good movie. Oh, yes. Grizzly Adams looking motherfucker. <laughs> Baked being on an island. Really, he's just been living it up in fucking Tijuana. So, let me ask you guys, you know, imagine yourselves in that kind of situation. Okay. You know, would you be willing to, to resist all that, you know, 60 months, all alone, you know? What? Would I be able to resist what? Being lost at sea. I don't I'm understand the question. It right now. I don't understand the question. What would I be resisting? The the urge, or maybe the desire to kill yourself. No, I wouldn't do it. I'd fucking eat the dude, though. <laughs> <laughs> like the third night. I think I'd know after a month. If if it took him a month to die, I'd probably know after that month that like this is gonna be a long journey, and I need to. To make that body last. <laughs> no, I wouldn't kill myself. I don't think. But I might. I would. I would. I would might eat the dude. I would try if, as hard as I could to, to 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 survive. You'd need to know the circumstances, I suppose. Like if you're on the like fucking prototypical one island with a single fucking palm tree. No, no, he's on a boat like though. Twenty feet around, you just sit there all day, like. That might become a bit much, but like if you got a jungle or something, you can run around in and 
You yeah, can keep yourself. You can keep though. yourself. Busy. This isn't Gilligan's Island. This is like yeah. the life of pie without so the animals. The, yeah. So Darren is thinking of doing a little Pilates on the island. <laughs> you know, every morning. This is like the choice between eating your arm off or continuing to drink your own pee. Exactly. So how far would you go? Would you would you start eating your arm off, or what would you start with? Your like if you were gonna die or or have to start like mowing down. Well, I know how to turn salt water into drinking water, <laughs> so that's what I would do. You're gonna have that little made in China filter with you? No, no. I've seen Bear Grylls do it though. You just fucking get a little sheet of plastic and put it in the sand and put the cut, and then you can even just pee on it. And it condenses through and see. Darren's still going with the sand. There's no sand. <laughs> no sand on the <laughs> no. island. No, he's not on an island. He's just on a boat, isn't he? Yeah, he was on a goddamn fiberglass boat. What the fuck? (laughs) Have you seen The Life of Pi? No. Okay, it's a guy trapped on a boat for the whole time, except he's with animals. Like a tiger. The tiger on the boat? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Fuck. That's fucking ridiculous. (laughs) It's an allegory, man. You know, this is all, you know, symbolism and shit. (laughs) No, I'll have to watch it, I suppose. What about you then? So he was stuck on a fucking boat. Yeah, for, for 16, 16 months. months. Yeah. I don't know, man. Have you seen, I think I mentioned this already in a previous podcast. Have you seen the movie Mar Adentro? That's some bullshit. He's been fucking getting some tail on the side someplace and he didn't want his oh. wife to know. So he just fucking pretended. <laughs> Guaranteed. Classic. He's like, oh, I've been fucking lost. He went on a fucking bender someplace over in fucking... Think he's getting tail with a beard like that? Probably not. <laughs> so what's this movie about, Red? Uh, Mar Adentro is the sea inside. It's uh, with Javier Bardem, who is like one of the greatest actors of his generation. This is the tale of a man who is being... Uh, what do you call it? Quadriplegic, you know, he, he, he only can move from his neck up, right? Okay. He's, you know, he's been on a bed for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. And he's uh, struggling for his right to, um, to end his life, you know, to commit suicide, you know, euthanasia. But the problem is that is in Spain, euthanasia was illegal. I think it, still illegal for all I know so it's about that you know that the man who's trying to fight for his right to, to, to die with dignity you know to, to know not only to you know keep surviving because of someone else's sense of morality and it's a it's a pretty interesting story mm. you know I think uh, I, if you get the chance to uh, Please watch it. Maybe we could we can discuss it later. But well, this is one of the things I I sometimes think you know about you know yeah yeah topics like euthanasia. It is euthanasia legal in Canada? Uh, no. <laughs> there was a big fight over it and stuff. I think, but I think there's it's a soft. It's kind of like one of those like it's probably like the pot law. You know, but kind of mm-hmm. like just turn their head aside. I think you can like shut the machines off, but you can't fuck it. You can unplug it, you just can't turn it down. But you can't fucking reverse it. 
Yeah, for for example, what happens if someone is uh, is dying of cancer, is in a lot of pain, you know, and he's telling you, you know, please, no, you can't help help me find a way to end this suffering. Can't do it. So that movie reminds me of the video Metallica made. One, one, yeah, 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 yeah. I cannot live. I cannot die. Trapped in myself, fighting my. You do the whole thing. In the car on my own, I could. <laughs> Richard Dreyfuss made uh, a, a movie like that uh, a lot of years ago. You know, this is the, the, the life of a, a sculptor who suffers a car accident, you know, ends up in a hospital without being able to move his body. And he's also uh, trying to fight for his right to, 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 to let the uh be free of the hospital regulations you know because in modern medicine you know the idea is to keep to keep you alive by any means necessary you know to keep you plugged to the to the, to the machines you know even if you are just merely you know vegetable exactly so the guy the, i think the title of the movie is whose life is it anyway all right yeah, well, well let's uh Let's move on yeah, let's, to something. Let's... <laughs> I'll leave more live a little. <laughs> so let's talk about the devil. <laughs> that sounds better. Okay, so you know that in in the United States they have this huge debate about the mixing of religion and politics, right? You know that the, they have these all these conservative groups who have also a lot of you know. Uh, political influence, Republicans and all that. And apparently in 2012, some rich Republican uh, convinced the state of Oklahoma to erect a statue of the Ten Commandments right on the, you know, the state capitol, which pissed off a lot of people, you know, predominantly atheists, because they thought that it was a flagrant, you know, violation of the, you know, the separation of church and state. And I think that, for the record, I think they absolutely right. But then there came the the Satanists who have oh. a, a very devious sense of humor, and they came up with a, a a much better plan to protest the the Ten Commandments statue. They decided to to ask. Uh, the state of Oklahoma for the right to erect a statue in, or, in honor of Satan himself. <laughs> Did they get approved? No, the, 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 <laughs> the, I think that the, the city or the state is going to, to, to have kind of a, like a, an election. They're going to... Like a uh, referendum? They, they, they're going to vote whether they uh, let the approval to... to to the to the building of the statue, but either way, the set, the Satanists win, right? Because if they uh, yeah yeah reject if they don't it, yeah, yeah they reject it, they can come up and say that the, how there is this uh, favoritism, you know, for, uh, for a, one certain type of uh, religious doctrine. In this case, obviously Christianity. Let's imagine if if a Buddhist organization living in Oklahoma had asked, you know, for the right to erect 
a statue of Buddha, I'm sure that may, a lot of people would would have objected to it. But when it comes to Christianity, well, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know. Or, or the money, the sure. money might have had something to do with it. I mean, I wonder if the Satanists had the same amount of money as the the guy who erected the Ten Commandments. What did they would have got it erected? I think that they launched a Kickstarter campaign or something. I think they they are getting the the funds because a lot of people are, you know, you know, jumping in the bandwagon, you know, anything to piece up a few old Christians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that yes. Let's see here. To bring the Oklahoma project to life, Messner, I think the guy behind this project, created an Indiegogo page to raise an estimated twenty thousand. As of January the twenty second, that fundraising goal had been exceeded, when <laughs> with a, more than a thousand people contributing a total of twenty eight thousand one hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> People seemed less enthralled with the temple's previous fundraising effort to support religious diversity. It involved adopting a New York highway in Satan's name for the price of 15000 The deadline has long passed, and the Satanic Temple raised just $2,200. Oh, I thought the Satanic Temple got the twenty-eight grand. Apparently, the guys... The, the, the satanic temple is behind the project, you know, and it's kind of, I don't know. Incidentally, you, did you know that uh, the city of Madrid has in one of their squares uh, a statue in honor of Lucifer himself? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is kind of ironic because, you know, Spain is still a, a pretty uh, big Catholic nation, you know, but this particular uh, statue is in a very, I don't know, romantic style, you know, it portrays Lucifer as the fallen angel, you know, very kind of William Blakey and all that. You know, it's, it's a nice statue, <laughs> but it, it didn't create the fuss that this other statue of Baphomet who is like a kind of like a obscure esoteric figure, you know, some people accuse, for example, in the medieval times, some, uh, the, the Pope and some people accuse the Templars worshiping Baphomet instead of, of God. But some people say that Baphomet is like an anagram for uh, uh, Mohammed, you know, the, 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 the Muslim prophet. And some other people even say that Baphomet was actually kind of like a, a cryptic allegory of uh, John the Baptist. You know, in the Bibli in the biblical tale, John the Baptist is is imprisoned by King Herod, and then uh, her stepdaughter, his stepdaughter, uh, requests the head of. John the Baptist, you know, to be presented to her in a silver plate. So the idea is that apparently the Templars were, you know, they, they were putting the, the figure of John the Baptist before the figure of Jesus Christ himself. The false idol. Yeah, well, that's that's what they, that what they accused him of. I also remember that the, when they had their big uh, 
the trial, they accuse the Templars of committing homosexual acts, you know. Uh, but then, you know, the Templars uh, replied that what they were doing, you know, was uh, the kind of uh, acts that the acts that the Muslims will force them to do if they ever get, got captured, you know, that they will be forced to desecrate the uh, Christian symbols. And that's why they they did it themselves, you know, in order, in order to like practice or something like that. Practice huh. reckon, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's it's all very it's all very mysterious and very confusing. Speaking of mysterious, I just got I've been plowing through that Lewis Proud book. He's coming on, and uh, well, we don't know for sure yet. We've been in contact with him, so hopefully, you know, sometime in March, hopefully we'll we'll talk to him. But uh, I went to skim through it, and I just got fucking hooked right away. Can't what's, put it down. What's the title of the book? Uh, the Secret Influence of the Moon, I think, or something like that. The Secret Influence of the Moon. It's kind of uh, talks about just, yes, the occult nature of the moon, and then a lot of the science of the moon. It's real interesting. Mm. I got hooked right away. Cool. Mm. going to plow so, through it, probably end up reading it in a week. I got a book, too, in the mail. Another one that uh, Finley Eversolt <clears throat> edited. And it's called uh, Creating a Real Wealth Economy. And it's from phantom wealth to a wiser future for all humanity. So I'm sure it's going to get into this, uh, how we're all based on debt, how the, the whole monetary system is based on debt and all this. So that should be interesting. Well, not only on debt, but if you think about its own kind of uh, illusory illusory uh, assets right yeah yeah i mean electronic transactions yeah zeros and ones you know traveling through the wires you know yeah so uh the other thing is uh red i don't know if you ever heard of the global coherence initiative or it's also ones and less zeros it's also we we discussed about it uh, we discussed it uh, the last time I, i was with you guys yeah yeah but this isn't the consciousness project it's the uh coherence initiative so it's the it's the guys that are affiliated with heart math okay anyways there's uh they've got <clears throat> kind of a similar thing going on to the global consciousness thing but it's about heart-based meditations around the world and stuff like that and uh, they've got a lot of science behind um you know the the electro i think it's something about the electromagnetic spectrum or frequency of your heart depending on what state you're in right so they can measure this now and if you're in sort of like a you know a loving state it changes right lots of science behind this and they're uh we've got a guy coming on that show uh coming on in a couple of weeks next week next tuesday it won't release for a couple of week and a half after that though next episode it'll be rd6 killer clark talking about star people and all that oh, stuff. Oh, that's going to be a good one. Yeah, it was a great chat. And then we got a welcome. Uh, we got we got uh, some downloads out of Kenya now firing up. So it looks like we've got a fan in Kenya. Well, welcome to the welcome to the team. Got a flyer. <laughs> yeah, Howard Martin's a guy's name from Global Coherence Initiative. So this guy's this guy's been around done lots of talks. It's going to be fascinating. Awesome. And of course, in this episode, we got coming up after the break, Danielle Bolelli. 
And uh, I, I actually found out uh, about his podcast through you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I'm a big fan of Daniele. Uh, would love to get a chance to, to to have a chat with him, you know, on Skype or you know, or whatever. You know, I, I think that he and other uh, uh, new podcasters, you know, are 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 bringing about a very uh, refreshing, you know, uh, way to uh, a new take on history. You know, they like. In foc- focusing on 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 the, the really juicy and the really interesting aspects of history that are sometimes you know left behind in the classroom, you know. Yeah, it's all about dates and names. Exactly. That's why I didn't like it. Mm, yes. Yes. So he he's I think he's also a community college professor and and a really envy his students you know i'm sure they're there they have a blast every week really it turns out all that shit that they taught us in history class like most of that shit is bullshit anyway like it's fucking once you get older like everyone knows most of that shit is bullshit oh yeah my textbooks were from the fucking 80s i mean like what do you mean bullshit i mean a lot of the dates and a lot of the main events were Uh, well like the main recent events but like the fucking history of yeah man and shit like that and the whole evolution and this and that is all like pretty yeah, outdated not, yeah not only that but you have to remind that history is written by the victors right so they will make sure that only their side of the story you know the way they want to portray certain touchy uh, historical events will be learned in the classrooms right like uh, here in Mexico, we are used to uh, reading the way that the, the Spaniards con- uh, conquered the uh, and defeated the the, the, the Aztecs. But then the, the uh, some some historians make an effort to try also try to to learn uh, the side the the side of the Aztecs, right? There's a, a book called uh, Vision de los Vencidos, Vision of the Vanquished, who tried to, to tell the same historical events, but through the eyes of how the, 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 the people, the original inhabitants of this country, you know, uh, view them. Yeah, that would be interesting. You, you, yeah, and you know that there's still a lot of contention, even today, you know, among some nations, for example, the way that uh, Japan addresses his their their participation in World War Two, and the way that China, South Korea, view the way that you know, Japan acted when they invaded those countries. I also this reminds me, by the way, that uh, apparently Pope Francis. Is is considering the idea of opening the files of this uh, Pope Pius twelve, I think. You know the the, the Pope that was uh, around for tried. World War Two. Exactly because they want to. It's it, it, so this has always been an incredibly touchy subject. You know, the 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 Jewish community has always uh, uh, decried how. Uh, the Catholic Church turned 
turned the other way when Hitler began to to, to start, uh, you know, capturing them and putting them on the on the camps, right, the concentration camps. And well, apparently, uh, Pope Francis is once again, you know, going going against the current, and maybe he will release those secret archives. Just uh, take the locks off the library. <laughs> yeah, well, well. <laughs> Open season, boys. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what happens. All right. Hey, you've got, uh, you want to talk about something too, right? Uh, read a, a, a Kickstarter or Indiegogo? Yes, I do. You know, so I'm a big fan of webcomics, right? There's a lot of great artists who are putting their uh, contact uh, available for free on the web. And one of them is a lady by the name of Emmy. Emmy Bittner, oh, I hope I'm pronouncing her, her name correctly, who has a very pretty fascinating webcomic uh, called Trying Human. And the reason I liked it is not only because of the art, but also because it deals with UFOs and alien abductions. Is that like trying human as in like trying how humans taste or trying human as in like... <laughs> they, they taste like chicken. They taste no. like... <laughs> or trying human as in like sexual or... <laughs> Maybe. Or trying like... to abduct them? The idea is that this is kind of an interesting take on the alien abduction mythos, right? So Amy has this set of characters. One is a, a, a female, a, a girl. I can't remember her name right now. And, and a tall gray, you know, an, an, an alien visitor who is part of the team who, that, are, that are abducting humans. He falls in love with the girl, with the human girl. So, so it's an interesting kind of uh, forbidden romance because obviously, you know, the Greys have an agenda to make, and they even don't—they don't even have uh, a lot of uh, emotions, you know, or empathy towards the, the humans they are abducting. So, the, this other alien is kind of a, an, an anomaly in, in that regard, and the the story is trying to. Uh, connect all these kind of divergent, you know, uh, tales, one get it going all the way back to, to the infamous Roswell crash, you know, and all the tales about this EB-1, you know, the, the alien that the, the United States government captured, you know, and kept in captivity all those years. Mm -hmm. There's also, you know, a, a few uh, reptilian characters in the comic that kind of supply what you will call the comic relief and all that. There's also obviously Majestic 12 agents, you know, the guys, men in black who are trying to, to, to keep the alien agenda secret. And, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And right now, Amy is in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign in order to publish the first volume of the Trying Human uh, uh, webcomic, you know, I think that it comprises like uh, six, seven chapters or something like that. 
And I think it will be great if here in the Greg America show we could plug the, this Kickstarter campaign. And we've been uh, already, you know, sending emails to Amy to convince her to 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 come to the to the Great America uh, show to interview her properly. Yeah, and, yeah, we should have her on. Yeah, she's she's already accepted, but obviously, you know, with all those episodes that you guys have already on the backlog, you know, and and her own schedule, so it could be that by the time uh, we have her on the show and we and and the episode is released, that the Kickstarter campaign would have been over by then. So I think that. That was that was the reason why I wanted to mention it uh, already. You know, the the campaign is still eleven days to go. There's a lot of very interesting reward, rewards if you decide to join in. You know, yeah, Darren's got it up on the screen there. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I I went with the uh, signed uh, paperback edition. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll do too. Yeah, but I'm, I'm really considering maybe uh, before the, the campaign ends to maybe upgrade it to the hardback edition. I don't know if you can do that, you know, if you already get like pledged a certain amount, if you can, you know, increase the pledge. Well, maybe we'll get the hardback and then we'll swap. I think that, well, to everyone listening, you know, please check it out. Check, check. Uh, Amy's website, Trying Human, where you will find, you know, all the the, the previous chapters uh, freely available, you know, and if you like what you see and you think that you might enjoy it even more, if you actually have a printed edition in your hands, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. go on and, 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 and join the pledge. Cool. So that's under a Kickstarter, eh? We'll link to that in the show notes. Perfect. Yeah, and uh, I suppose we'll pop right from one accent to the next and jump into <laughs> our uh, our interview with Daniele Bellelli. It was a, a real fun chat, and you guys should enjoy it. And I think we're going to – we've already been in, in talks with uh, Richie to uh, to come on the Grime America show, hopefully at the end of March sometime. And then uh, hopefully maybe a roundtable sometime down the road. Excellent. All right. Well, it's good to have you on again, Red. Arrivederci, mi amici. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Red. Thanks, Graham. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the interview with Daniele Bellelli, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you.
Okay, guys, uh, today in America we're going to be talking with Daniele Bellelli of the Drunken Teos podcast. Uh, I think he's a teacher as well, a professor, an author. Uh, but before we get to him, as always, how's it going, Graham? Hey, I'm doing good, Darren. Remind me, we'll have to get Daniele to tell you how to pronounce uh, Taoist. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> so we've got uh, Daniele Bellelli here. Darren and I are huge fans of his podcast. And he's an author, historian, a teacher, a, a Taoist, a, a mixed martial artist, and a podcaster. He's got a few books out. One called uh, Creating Your Own Religion. It's a how-to book without instructions. Uh, Religion, 50 Things You're Not Supposed to Know. And On the Warrior's Path. So we've got plenty to talk about, and we're uh, super happy to have you on the show. Welcome, Daniele. Thank you, guys. Um, so I suppose before we get started, for uh, I don't think there's going to be too many people in our audience that that haven't heard ha- haven't heard your show, but that's how uh, that's how both Grab and I came to to find you and 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 kind of learn a little bit about, about you was was through the show. So I was wondering if you couldn't give us a quick uh, quick rundown of the sort of the genesis story of the the podcast. You know why you decided to do it, um, and and you know how it came to be where it is today. Yeah, I basically didn't know crap about podcasting, and uh, which is always a good start, I guess. But um, when I wrote uh, 50 Things, um, I was invited on uh, Rogan's podcast and Adam Carolla. So it was pretty cool because, you know, I went from zero exposure to the podcasting world to being on a couple of really huge ones. And particularly after Joe's podcast, I started getting a lot of messages and emails and all of that, you know, and these fans were all really, really cool. So eventually, after enough time, after this then went, you know, more Rogan podcast, Duncan Trussell, starting getting hooked up with what that word. I started just getting requests from people who dug it saying, hey, start your own podcast. And I was a lazy bastard, to be honest. So I was like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, sound good, except that I don't want to deal with, they're like, it's really easy, you know, learn how to, it's really quick learning all the in and out technically, but I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm sure it's easy, but I still don't want to do it. It's too much work uh, if I have to start from scratch. Uh, Tell you what, why don't we do this? If any of you guys um, (coughs) can... um, can worry about the technical part, you know, the editing, putting it on the web, everything, then, you know, I can put a microphone in front of me and we can start rolling. Huh. I said it almost as, a, you know, hoping that nobody would be. Would yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have a good excuse. And, uh, you know, within about five minutes from when I posted that, I got a reply from Richie who was uh, I'm a film editor out of Culver City, just, you know, not too far from you. I have access to a studio. I'll take care of all this stuff. Wow. And then, uh, Evan Culver jumped on and he was like, yeah, I can take care of the web. I'm like, shit, I guess I have no more excuses. Oh, okay. that's funny. So is that actually how you didn't know Rich before that? No, I didn't. Wow, that's amazing because you guys have a real chemistry. Like, to be honest, I just uh, actually, uh, one of our regular uh, guests here on Great America, Red Pill Junkie, uh, he turned me on to your show uh, a few, maybe a, maybe about two months ago. And I've been I've been listening to all the new ones and going back, but I think I've been mostly probably 25 or 23 and above sort of thing, except for right. I, I did go back and listen to the... Uh, legalize it one too as soon as i seen right. that i had to jump on jump all over it <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, well, but your point was, Darren, yeah, you were like, talking about yeah, Richie. Yeah, I'm really surprised to hear that that uh, you guys just kind of met over the podcast. It seems like you guys have had a, a genuine, like, ongoing... I thought for sure you guys had were, had been friends for years. Yeah. No, I literally met him at some... I think when we started was... Uh, now is, what, 2014? So we, we met in, like, 2012 in probably April or so. And just to chat, okay, so how are we going to go about it? We talk about it a few times. We met one day. We recorded a quick video that we put on YouTube as a teaser for the podcast. And then we... October 1st is when we released the first episode and we rolled since then. And I think, you know, the whole chemistry thing, it does, uh, I like Rich from the get-go. He was, he was definitely a really good guy. And I think he got, everything got progressively better since then. Like with anything, you know, when you first meet somebody, inevitably you're going to have things that flow and things that don't. I think over time, the things that flow have increased progressively. So now it's just a walk in the park, you know, we can, uh, uh, so I'm really, really happy with the whole thing. I'm happy with Rich. I feel like everything is working out really, really well. That's funny because I think that's probably, I think it was around 2012 when Graham and I met. Of course, at that time, we had no intention of starting a podcast, right. but here we are. <laughs> and it's definitely definitely not as easy as uh, as they were letting on to do all the editing and web stuff. It, it's a, no, it's quite why. a chore. Yeah, that's why I'm very thrilled, uh, you know, in addition to all the content aspect of it that Rich provides, also the technical element is a big one. And I'm really glad that he can take care of that as good as he does. Yeah, so um, are you happy with how it's gone and, and your, how far your reach has been? Like, has, have you, uh, is it beyond your expectations at all? Yeah, it is. It really is a trip in some ways because yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting messages as it happens on a fairly regular basis, you start getting messages from the weirdest places in the world. And you're like, really? Somebody in, uh, what was one of the last one I got? Somebody in Malawi, which I mean, I have pretty good knowledge of geography, but still I was like, Malawi? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it's in Africa somewhere, <laughs> yeah. but what the hell? Oh. Where are we? I was like, so, you know, it's, it's truly is another universe, you know, globalization today, thanks to something like podcasting, thanks to all the internet thing that we got to use is, uh, is changing the way we communicate in a way that really I would have never anticipated, not even 10 years ago, even five years ago, I didn't quite see it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's something we'll still be doing in 10 years? Do you think they'll, they'll allow this, this free flow of information with no, uh, you know, rating or filter to, to keep plugging or out? licensing? Who the hell knows? I honestly have no idea. You know, I would, uh, I wish I could tell you, yes, I know I have an inkling. I have a prediction. I'm as clueless as it gets when it comes to this, because I can see it going in many, many, many ways. Um, I don't know that you can close the floodgates once they have opened. I think there would be a hell of a lot of resistance to that, but weirder things have happened, so you never know. Yeah, you never know how much resistance is actually out there to be uh, to be formulated. Because sometimes yeah. you, you think of what's going on and you wonder why we don't gather together with pitchforks as it is. But yeah, that's true. That's very <laughs> much. That's definitely true. We're pacified. A yeah, pacified yeah, public. <laughs> That's why I'm surprised they don't legalize weed because they're like, if these guys are baked, they're going to be even less likely to rise up against us. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so you've you've been an, an author, a historian, a teacher. Do, do your students follow it a lot? Do you have a lot of uh, you know sometimes, student yeah. messages? Sometimes for... there's it goes both ways. I have people who sometimes on the first day of class show up, and I'm like, "Hey, I listen to your podcast." I'm like, "Cool." Or or sometimes it's the other way around. And after being in the class, then they hear me mention it and all of that then they um they start listening and uh, it's cool it's very uh, i really dig it i'm having a great time combining the two being That's... in the classroom and then doing these reaching a whole different audience I suppose that's the thing like California must be pretty close to the same sort of social structure as Canada because it's like in in some states you couldn't talk about some of the things you talk about on your podcast like you 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 know what i mean you'd have to keep that away from your line of work yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. But yes, I teach at Santa Monica, California, so not exactly scared in that regard. Yeah, if I was in, yeah, there are a lot of places in the U.S. where I would probably have to think twice about what I do. But then again, if I was in those kind of places, I probably would have never made it to teaching there anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's like here in Canada. The, if the cops bust into the igloo, the worst thing I'm worried about is, you know, maybe a fine. Right, exactly. 100 bucks. Yeah, things could be worse. Yeah, it still shouldn't even be that, but that's a that's a whole different discussion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So your podcast is called the Drunken Taoist. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I pronounce that right, but yeah, I was uh, I wanted to ask you a bit about about Taoism or Taoism. Sure. Because it's to me, my sense is is it's an underrated, I don't know, philosophy slash religion. It doesn't uh -huh. probably get um, a lot of the attention of Buddhism or something else does. But from what I've heard you say so far, it really rings true from me, uh, for me. On, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more like a new agey. I'm not afraid to say a little bit more new agey kind of kind of mm -hmm. guy. And, and some of the principles that I hear you talk about really ring true. You know, the whole staying in the moment and going with the flow and kind of like acceptance, these types of things. Could you yeah, I mean, tell us a bit about it? Yeah, the um, the main Taoist texts, the, the Tao Te Ching and Chuan Tzu have been heavily translated. They are quite popular. At the same time, they are not. You know, they are both something very well known and not so well known yeah. simultaneously, which may seem weird, but yeah. that's how it works. Part of what makes Taoism a bit of a tough beast, <clears throat> on one end, the religious aspect of Taoism turns a lot of people off. And I can understand why, because, I mean, there are... The thing that's tricky is that Buddhism is, you can see a logical continuity between the original philosophy, the religious practice, and all of that. With Taoism, it's everything and it's opposite under one cover, because the thing is, Taoism emerges primarily as a philosophy, as a way of life. Yeah. And then what happens that any religion born in China, um, all religions end up being some form or another of animism with ancestor worships and the rituals and all of that, because that is the real religion of China. And then they throw some face attached to it. So they'll put Confucius attached to it and Confucian philosophy give rise to Confucianism as a religion. They'll throw Lao Tzu there and so you'll have a Taoist version of animism. So it's a bit confusing because sometimes the same people are not practicing in both sense. You have Taoists who are philosophical Taoists, but not necessarily religious practice. Others who are very big into the religion and may have barely ever read the books. 
uh, and vice versa. So it gets a bit less easy to define compared to Buddhism. Can you talk about some of the main principles that you would... Sure. Um, one of the things about Taoism is, well, the yin-yang symbol in itself, the Tao, the, this idea that, uh, you know, there is clearly a very dualistic symbol, but unlike dualism in most Western religion, which is good and evil, God and the devil, heaven and hell, you know, there's a good side and the bad side. Mm -hmm. The yin-yang is more it's not as in uh, with a value judgment attached to it. It's more like masculine and feminine, day and night, uh, summer and winter. It doesn't mean that one is good and one is bad. They are different energies. They are opposite energies. And the idea being that everything on earth is made of both. And you need the right combination of both to address each specific situation. So whereas, uh, you know, in some cases being mostly assertive and in your face may be the right solution for that particular context. In a different context, you need subtlety and flexibility and being, uh, is it one answer right or wrong? No, it depends on the context. And you need to know the exact balance of yin and yang to apply to each context. That's when you are able to flow through things. If you don't apply the right balance, it's like, it's not evil, it's not a sin, but it's like swimming against the current. You know, you're going to get a lot less good results, have to struggle a lot more just because your timing is off. I think that's where a lot of us fit in. Just, yeah, I mean, just off. Just. Everybody screws up, right? It's the nature of the business. But, you know, the idea is that hopefully you start picking some trends, you start developing. The key word here is, in a way, is the sensitivity for it. Because it's not a recipe that you can follow. It's not that something can say, well, if you just do a little bit of yin and a little bit of yang, then everybody's happy. Well, it's constantly changing. And each situation is different. So you can't just go by, well, this is what the book tells me to do. You have to develop the right sensitivity to make the appropriate call right now to know exactly right in this moment what the correct balance is, which is something that nobody can teach you, like you can memorize it. The best that one can do is teach you a certain sensitivity for life so that you have the right response. So how do you, how do you go about that? What are some things you would do? Um, well, I mean, you can apply to everything, right? So let's say you have kids and with your kids, uh, in uh, one context, one moment, one particular emotional state, the thing that you do need to do is to let it go, not to fight them over it, to adopt a more flexible, mellow approach, let them get away with something and be more indulgent. Choose if your you battles. That, yeah, if you do that too much, you create a spoiled brat. If you do that in the wrong context, you give them mixed messages that confuse them. You need to do it in a way that, again, it boils to that sensitivity. If you do it now, it works great. If you do it five minutes from now, you just screwed up. So in another context, maybe you do need to be a little harsher, a little more um, in your face about what you want to get done and what you don't. And that ability to make the right call at the right time the only way to measure whether you have it or not is the results. 
you know, if you're dealing with the long-term result of what you just done is a pissed off kid and you being frustrated and all of that, you clearly didn't make the right call. The, the right call is when at the end of the day, everything has worked out and everybody walk out happy out of it, having gained something from it. Hmm. <laughs> that must feel intangible to some people. You know, I'm talking about, about how do you create more of a sensitivity to, you know, when to, when to stand up and when to let go, that type of thing. Well, look at it that way. Um, do you guys ever, do you cook your own food? Do you like cooking? Yeah. My favorite thing to do. Really? Yeah. I, I cook, uh, most of the meals in the house. Huh. I love cooking, especially on well, the weekend is like whip up a wicked fucking meal day. <laughs> Well, then you have a Taoist start right there in your hands. Because as you well know, you know, if you talk to anybody who knows how to cook well, the, um, you know, your stereotypical grandma who's amazing in the kitchen and all of that. If you ask her, hey, grandma, how do you make, you know, can you give me the recipe for that great food you make? It's the most frustrating thing in the universe. Because what you hear is, well, you put a little bit of this. It's like, what the hell is a little bit, you know? It's like, well, and then you let it cook for a while until it's <laughs> a little brown. And you're like, none of that make any fucking sense, right? Because you're like, you want some, give me number of minutes, give me how many cups, how much, something that I can reproduce. And the really good ones can't give you that because they don't cook that way. They cook by nose. They cook by, they see it. And they can make the right adjustment right in that second. You know, the, a recipe is good because it prevents you from fucking up too bad. You know, a recipe is good because it gives you a general idea that if you follow it, you probably come up with something decent. But for something really good, you have to leave the recipe behind and somewhat improvise and make changes and adapt the timing and on many, many variables that nobody could possibly capture in a formula that they give to you ahead of time. And that's the difference between somebody who can cook just by the book and somebody who's a real master at it, which means they, they go by their nose. That's like when you and you guys and Duncan Trussell were talking about that, you know, becoming an expert and just being able to go with, go with the flow or stay so in the moment that you're, you're kind of not, you don't have to even think about it. You're just there with it. Right. Right. Absolutely. It's like getting pancake batter to the right consistency, man. You can't teach that shit. You just yep, know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You make good pancakes. I don't know about the rest of your meals, but I'll Come give on. you that. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny hearing you talk about Taoism. It reminded me of a simple sort of spiritual self-help book I, I read called The Four Agreements. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of those those four agreements. I heard that, yeah. yeah. I haven't read the book. Yeah. I heard about it. Yeah, just like being, uh, the four of them are be impeccable with your word, don't take things personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. And like, I just, uh, when I hear you talk about that, it just makes me think about... Uh, assumptions yeah. is a big one in the world of text messaging. Yeah, you know, like oh, texts yeah. like totally amplify how easily things can be taken out of context in an email or a text compared to a face-to-face -face or even a, a telephone conversation where you can hear the different inflections in people's voices. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I have to practice that a lot. Like when I'm, when I'm texting something, I think I, like sometimes I feel like I get a really good intuition of uh, what it means. But sometimes if it's negative and I have to stop and think, hey, whoa, 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 don't judge that. Don't uh, assume that 
that they mean this or that. Yeah, that's a good example of that. Yeah, and one of the um, that's one of the things that I notice a lot that most uh, conflicts are based on just pure miscommunication, where it sounds like the two people are talking about the same thing, and they are just using the same words, meaning something radically different. People more often than not are running their own movies in their head and projecting it on other people, what they are doing and what they are saying. Like I see sometimes, you know, when you read uh, reviews or when you read, let's say you either know somebody really well and you read the reviews of their work, sometimes both the positive and the negative ones have nothing to do with what the book or the movie or whatever that may be really is about. It's people just projecting shit and making stuff up and they don't do it intentionally they don't know that they are doing it and yet if you really know what's going on behind the scene you can understand that what they are talking about has nothing to do with the subject at hand yeah that's a good point but uh we want to have a, a fellow on that, that did a movie called uh people versus the state of illusion and it's all about your your perceptions and how how much uh that shifts your how much your perception shift your reality, you know, and how much sensory information you take in and right. really the small percentage of that, that you actually use to create your, your reality. Right. Uh, so speaking of some of that, like watching uh, movies and, and TVs and all that, I heard you mention you don't really have a TV and um, I, I don't either, but sometimes I feel like uh, I, I mean, sure, I can go to the internet and check out the local local news or pick and choose what I want to get my current events from, but do you ever feel like you're missing out on current events, or where do you get your dose of of current events from if you don't watch cable? Um, as far as uh, entertainment and stuff, like movies or TV series, I'll watch, um, you know, there are a few TV series or movies that, I hear about, I check them out, Netflix or online or something. I'm more than happy to watch stuff in that fashion, things that I choose that I want to see from beginning to end. As far as news go, by now, internet, you know, you can, uh, rather than having to sit through a whole news hour in which three quarters is crap that you don't care about, you go and really pick the news stories that, I mean, by now, if you open Twitter or you go on 90% of the story that interests me, somebody just sent it to me or somebody brought it up in five different posts so I'll notice them. So in some way, internet replaces the traditional news source where you have to sit through the whole thing and watch it religiously like it used to be. Um, so, no, I don't really feel like I'm missing out on a whole lot. Yeah, the internet's a real game changer, for sure. Yeah. Like That's like even just Twitter. Since Twitter is when I really totally detached from reading the newspaper because I used to at least read the paper. I haven't watched news in years and years, like 10 years probably since I'd sit down and watch the news for the right. half hour. But I used to always read the paper at work. But then once Twitter came along, then I just, I try to read the paper and I don't bother. Everything that's in the paper, because I follow even local stuff, I follow a bunch of Calgary news people on Twitter. So all that shit comes right to my phone or my computer and, and then you can easily uh, decide if I want to read yeah. it or not. See, I don't have, I'm not on the, the Twitter yet. Without, so killing any, without killing any trees. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember growing up, I used to read newspapers since I was a kid. You know, I was 
since I turned 10 or something, I started reading newspaper, often two newspapers a day, that kind of thing. Now I haven't read a newspaper in, I can't even remember when was the last time I read a newspaper because it's just a completely different way to get your news compared to the way it used to be. Yeah, that's one aspect where it's even, it's the, uh, at least something we made is helping start to, to reverse our effect on the environment. Right, yeah, less paper is definitely not a bad idea. It's too bad it took all sorts of fossil fuels and shit to make the <laughs> iPad. Right, exactly. Hey, I've got, uh, we, we talked about our regular contributor here, Red Pill Junkie. He's a huge uh, listener of your podcast. So I got a question from him, him here I'm going to read. So he's, <laughs> he's like, uh, in light of, of the Bolelli's Dreamtime section of the Drunken Taoist podcast, it's more evident you've always enjoyed a rich and active oneric life, I yes. guess, as in uh, oneronauts. Um, taking that into consideration and also the fact that you, even your own mother shared in episode 30, what could only be described as a precognitive dream. What yeah. is your personal view of what dreams actually are? Like, are they just the mere background noise spewed up by our brains when they enter into standby mode during nighttime as modern new neurologists would have us believe, or could they be something much more transcendent? I think that a lot of dreams are just the mind entertaining itself. And, you know, we're replaying events of the day, mixing bits and pieces of things we know, running our own movies, and it's somewhat just random entertainment. Daytime residue. Yeah. There are other dreams then that are not as common where something else is going on, where you get a definite feeling that that was not my mind creating this. There's my mind was interacting with something else going on that I would have never thought in a million years. So I've seen way too much weird stuff not to think that there's the universe is considerably weirder than we understand. So my impression is that there are those times when your subconscious taps into something else. What something else is, I have no idea. You know, some cultures would say where it's uh, your spirit can get in contact with sort of a collective subconscious. In other places, they would say that it's spirits coming to teach you. In other places, I don't know what that is, but I do know that there's something other than the mind entertaining itself that kicks in, in at least rare occasions. Yeah. But those rare occasions still do happen, and not just once in a lifetime. So it's... I think both things are going on. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. He also asked, should we all be worried of, of some night accidentally entering a parallel realm populated by orgasm counting gnomes? Hey, that's not a bad parallel. <laughs> that's definitely not a bad parallel universe, I would say. No, once you got the hang of him sitting in the corner, it wouldn't be so bad. Did you, <laughs> did you see, I haven't heard that episode. Did you hear that episode? No, I don't think. I've heard some gnome talk, yeah, though. Uh, yeah, I've heard some gnome talk. Yeah, no, I had what I had this really weird dream. I was, like, cracking myself up when I woke up because I remember there was this couple having just wild sex and the woman in particular having orgasm after orgasm. And in on the nightstand, where, on the bed where this couple were having sex, on the nightstand there was this gnome, you know, with his gnome hat and sitting down doing his thing that after each orgasm would just ring this bell would go did -di 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 -di, and would just <laughs> jot down in his notebook as uh, okay one more check that now let's see it was like 
keeping statistics almost, you know, like somebody watch a basketball game to record how many three pointers, how many rebounds. The orgasm counting gnome, as the name implies, was keeping tab on the orgasms that the couple was having. That's funny. So did that she needs to be did a she, t-shirt? Did she fake any? Like did 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 she did she fake any and he didn't ring the bell? Well, you know, apparently he was sold on all of them. Okay. I don't know if that was true or he was just gullible. But yeah. most of us guys are gullible when it comes to that. <laughs> so, or denialist. <laughs> so that's funny because I hadn't heard you tell the story, but I just heard you guys talking about it. Yeah. And I thought he was counting yours. Like from yeah. from the context I got, it was about like him watching watching you. So it's good to hear well, the actual. That, uh, I'm afraid that in terms of um, just male physiology wouldn't work as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> night after night. <laughs> yeah, and there wouldn't be the repetition like, dah, 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 and then five minutes later, another. It wouldn't quite work that easy. That's true. And I got uh, another question from RPJ here. Um, he asked, uh, in your in your podcast, you mentioned how in Italy, the introduction to the consumption of alcohol is, is completely different to what they do in the States. O- over there, it would usually be the grandfather or the parents who would offer your first sip of wine at an early age. So by the time you were reached 21, the legal age for drinking in the U.S., Italians are already very, very well accustomed to alcohol and would have fewer risks of falling into the, the bumbling intoxication displays of their American counterparts. Since you yourself are a consumer of other types of substances, which are still frowned upon in our current society, are, and you also happen to be a parent, would you consider following the same approach with, with your daughter, but in, uh, in place of alcohol with some of these other substances? Yeah, I mean, to me, anytime you make something a taboo, you are ensuring that people will obsess with it, which is never a good idea, which is why I was really puzzled when I moved to the United States in regard to alcohol, because yeah, I remember alcohol as being like big deal, you know, it's what your grandparents have for lunch and there's nothing glamorous about it. You know, they tell if you're curious, you know, they'll give you a sip of wine and they'll tell you drink only this much because if you have too much you get sick and then one day you do drink a little bit too much and you figure out oh shit they were right i don't feel so good and then you don't do it and you know you kind of get a sense for how much is good how much is not no big deal um i remember when i was i think i was 11 the first time i smoked weed and it was with my mom you know, my mom was having decided a friend of hers left the job. Actually, no, a friend of hers was visiting and 
pulled out a joint and they start smoking and you know i was curious and my mom was like well you know i have a hit best night of sleep of my life but the thing that it may not sound like the most responsible thing in the world if you put it that way but at the same time it was because what happened is every other person i knew by the time they were 12 and 13 everybody was smoking cigarettes because it was the thing that everybody would do I thought, hmm, interesting. So I remember I was 12 or 13 around there. I picked up cigarettes and I started trying, not just try one just for the hell of it, but I started smoking somewhat more regularly where it was becoming like a habit. And my mom just told me, are you just fucking stupid? And she didn't tell me, no, don't do it. She just said, look, I'm the one who told you, sure, have a hit of weed if you want, because one hit once in a while, if it's just weed, it won't hurt you. But if you make something a habit like tobacco, which has some major health effects, I really think that's stupid and it would hurt you. Now, she had built a credibility with me by that point. She built a credibility first and foremost because of who she was, yeah. but also because she's somebody who is not just saying no to everything, yeah. which at that point I don't, you know, I know that I can listen to you because you're not discriminating. You're just saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. It's like, okay, fuck, whatever, I can't listen to you. She was the one who was the cool parent who let me do the kind of thing that other parents don't let you do. And yet, if she was telling me that this thing was bad for me, hmm, maybe I should listen. Maybe I should really consider it. And so what ended up happening is that I was the only one of my friends who was not smoking as a habit on a regular basis, one or two packs a day. I was just not smoking, period. You know, I would pretty much, you know, I had my thing early on for just trying it. And then I was done with tobacco. I didn't, I never picked it up as a lifelong habit, which, you know, considering what we know now regarding tobacco, that was not a bad thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm still on the tobacco myself, but I, I have been thinking more and more about quitting. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it's the problem with it is that we know a bit too well that long term, you know, trying big deal. You know, it's not like you're trying some, you know, crystal meth or something, which even trying probably is not the greatest idea. Tobacco, you can try, but once you make it a long term uh, use, certainly not the best thing you can do for your health no I'll, I'll quit one day i think that i kind of follow the same approach as me and my wife have had this discussion before because we both we both enjoy enjoy smoking a little pot now and again right and uh we've talked about it amongst ourselves how we're going to approach it because one i mean our one daughter is is two and the other is is still a baby is uh three months mm -hmm. but you know the day is going to come when when it's going to become a, an issue, you know, once, once teenage years and, you know, rolls around and we, and it's kind of, I'd rather have you do it at home. If you're curious, you know, yeah. smoke Y weed in my backyard where I can, you know, know what's going on and you're not out in the street trying to score pot on a corner. I mean, hopefully by then we don't even have this issue right anymore, but if it is, I'd rather her, they were getting it for me and doing it under my roof than being out and, you know, I've scored pot in some pretty seedy places in my life and I wouldn't want my daughters there. Right, exactly. I mean, when you think about the vast majority of nasty things that do happen in that regard are when people don't know what they are doing, they get horrendously wasted on whatever substance that may be, whether it's alcohol, whether it's what you name it, you know, whatever drug it may be. 
they do it outside of the house in an unsafe contest around people who can take advantage of them when they are out of it. That's really the big deal. You know, that's where you want to teach people how never to put themselves in that kind of situation because it's really seriously dangerous. I mean, the number of women who get raped every year as a result of that is just off the charts. So that to me is worry about that stuff. You know, worry about teaching somebody not to do, not to put themselves in danger in that contest. Not as a just say no thing. You know, you, you want to have a joint once in a while, pff, big deal. You want to try drinking some, big deal. Again, as you know, if you know how to do it right, there are some people who have addictive personalities. So clearly the once in a while may not work quite as well for, with them. Most people who are, can try things and enjoy them for a little bit without getting obsessive about it, then, yeah, enjoy it a little bit and know your measure. To me, it's not a yes or no kind of thing, and that's what I mean by the Taoist thing of being able to make the call. It's not a 110% of cases, yes, do it, or 110% don't do it. It's what's the context, how far are you going to go with it, how much of a habit is it, what kind of, the, of an effect does it have on your body? All of the things go into the mix of figuring out whether it's a good idea for you or not. What uh, I'm curious, what, uh, what do you, would you say is the alcoholism rate from Italy compared was, to the States? I was just going to ask that, yeah. I'm pretty sure, I mean, I don't know in terms of statistics. I haven't seen I can tell you in terms of personal personal experience, I've definitely seen a lot more nasty alcoholism in the U.S. than in Italy. Doesn't mean that, you know, in Italy there's still a lot of alcoholism, the way in most nations you have a lot of alcoholism. But proportion-wise, I would say I've seen it a lot more in the U.S. than in Italy. Yeah, there seems to be more of a respect for for alcohol and those types of things in Europe. Like, I've been to europe a few times and what a difference even just being in in like paris and you could just go to the corner store and grab a bottle of wine and take it to the park in front of the eiffel tower and drink your wine (laughs) in the public it's not a big deal right nobody nobody's you know looks at you twice and then you come here and you can't even walk around with a freaking beer in your hand yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why when I moved to the U.S., I was 18, and, you know, by then, I've had access to any alcohol I wanted for the longest time, and I've never really abused it that much. I get buzzed. I don't get horrendously trashed. And then coming to the U.S., where it was this big uh, big deal, it was this uh, cool thing to do because it was illegal, and it was, you know, th- there was all the drama about it. People would just drink and drink and drink to the point that they just throw up all over themselves. And I'm like, why the hell would you do that? That just does not look like fun at all. I don't get it. And um, yeah, I wasn't exactly feeling like I was missing out much in not having grown up in that kind of context. It's got to be something to do with the, the just waiting for it. When you're a kid, you just, you, you know, especially in the States here, we only have to wait till you're 18. But in the States, you wait till you're 21. Yeah. 21. Yeah. I, got, I remember I yeah, got busted for drinking when I was like 13 and I got, I had to do community service at the golf course for drinking underage. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. And then, and then you started your golfing career. <laughs> and I started golfing, which yeah. of course made me drink more. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, what, what else uh, did you notice when you moved out here to America then? Uh, compared to Italy, like of course there's lots and there's positive and, and negatives to both, you know, Italy and the states. But sure, anything else that stands out as far as our culture or, or if you could take the best of both, what would you end up with? Well, Italy was definitely, I wouldn't say friendlier because on a superficial level, people were probably more they were very friendly in California, but. Um, you get to know people longer. You get to, you sort of build the ties that rarely go away. In the US, I was confused because everything was, you become friends with people really quick and they disappear out of your lives really quick. So there was this extremely fast turnover of people moving in and out of your life and you either hit it off immediately or you never will because you're never gonna run into each other again kind of thing that I found a bit confusing. Um, great on a superficial level, not much going beyond that. And here I'm talking about LA, you know, maybe in uh, some tiny town in US is a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. But for life in Los Angeles, definitely that was uh, was weird. I mean, pleasant at, to when you first meet people, but again, with this sense that is not going to go much beyond that initial one. For yeah, me, it's tough to squeeze. It seems like it's tough to squeeze new friends into the, like the circles of friends there already are. Right, exactly. And for me, Italy wasn't. I didn't feel like Italy wasn't tribal enough. So U.S. was ten times less than that. So I was like, mm, I don't like that. Now it made me appreciate what I considered normal in Italy. And uh, on the other hand, I find. Uh, in terms of work and getting stuff done and being open to novelty, I find you as a considerably better place. There's um, Italy, you come up with a new idea and you have 10 people telling you why it's never going to work. US, you come up with a good idea and sometimes people jump on it even when they shouldn't. You know, they have this wild enthusiasm even for things that maybe a little more critical thinking would be healthy. But between the two, I really prefer some damn enthusiasm over some well-thought cynicism any day. In one case, at least, there's this sense of possibility or this sense of let's go for it. And whether it's smart or not, at least I like the spirit of it. Yeah. The Whereas the, <clears throat> when the natural inclination is to say no to everything, ish, that gets old. Really, that's really exhausting. Fast. Yeah. It's exhausting. Yeah. Big time. What about the difference in education systems? We've heard you talk about um, on your podcast about uh, what was it? Your choice of, of classes kind of thing. If, if you had, uh, you know, your say in your curriculum at education, was there a big difference between uh, schools there and here? I mean, my experience is that they both suck horrendously. <laughs> I hated school in Italy. I hated school in the U.S. Um, the main difference being in Italy... So then you became a teacher. <laughs> yeah, well, because I think I like what it can be. You know, I like very much the idea of what schooling can be, not what it is. Probably precisely because I like what it can be, I'm really disturbed by what they make it. Yeah, yeah. But um, the only difference I notice is that in Italy, they just 
really hammered hard in terms of uh, study skills. So by the time I got to college, it was a walk in the park. Oh, right. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, just in terms of preparation, people in US, and again, I'm sure some places had awesome preparation, but on average, study skills were way lower here than they were over there. But this is not a sign that you have a better education. It just means that they taught you how to jump through the hoops more effectively. That's different in my mind from having an education. So yeah, I knew how to play the stupid game very effectively because Italy was pretty brutal in that regard. I remember my third year of high school, we changed professors and, uh, High school there is not like high school year where you have um, you switch uh, you switch the people you're in the class with at each time period. There you have like let's say thirty people in your classroom, and you have you are with them all the time, and you just have different professors coming in. Ah, so ah. the um, I remember like the thirty so people in my class. By the end of the year, there were eighteen left. Because they had all be either been pushed to drop or they had um, the majority had to repeat the year. They were like, yeah, not satisfactory enough. Try this year one more time. So, you know, the pressure on study was huge because it can really screw you up. If you don't, you know, you, your summer is ruined. You have to spend all summer studying. You may have to take six or seven years to get through high school. You know, it was brutal. So <clears throat> it was a sink or swim kind of thing. I remember a couple of teachers had a pretty big impact on me, like my grade four, my grade four and five teacher and a couple of my PE teachers, my gym teachers in, in junior high school were like, yeah, big influences on me. Ironically, my favorite teacher was a history teacher and it turns out all the shit he taught me was bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, at least if he was entertaining, that's something. Yeah, that's what it was. It was entertainment. It's like you'd always tell the story, tell tell everything with a story to it, as opposed to just you know. And then these right. guys went over here and got in a fight with these guys. It seems like our whole history is all about fucking fighting, anyway. Of course, it's all just. It's like we're still in a tribal state that we just fight amongst each other. Yeah, there's a lot of that. That's for sure. I listened to this uh, audio book uh, from Daniel J. Siegel. I think it's called. Uh, the mindful brain uh-huh. and he talks about a lot of the positive effects of mindfulness uh, meditation and, mind, and just mindfulness in general and the scientific evidence behind it and all that and they talked about how helpful that would be in schools you know like people growing yep. up to actually be somewhat aware of their thoughts and their thinking process and yeah i'm curious as a father what are your plans for education yeah, that's a good one. Hell if I know. Because uh, I'm still, because I didn't grow up with, in the US, I don't really know how the game works as far as what to expect from um, uh, elementary school, junior high, high school. I don't fully understand it, how they do things here. So I'm trying to figure things out step by step. Um, um, right now, I'm just looking at elementary schools, what that's going to look like, and um, taking it one step at a time. My guess is, I mean, at the end of the day, what I think is the most schools are about learning how to jump through the hoops so you can keep doing that effectively, get through what you need to get through. In terms of real education, I'm thinking that that's ultimately something that doesn't take place in the classroom anyway. 
that it is something that would have to be encouraged at home. That, you know, it's about uh, the kind of books you read. It's about the kind of discussions you have at home. It's about something that happens not in the classroom. Yeah, so I... in that sense, it doesn't really matter which school she's in as long as the people are not. Like there's a awesome Frank Zappa quote that says, oh, if you want to get an education, go to the library. If you want to get laid, go to college. Makes makes sense to me. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny because I kind of, I was sort of like, we had kind of talked uh, briefly about like homeschooling because, you know, the school's fucked, everything they teach you, you know, none of it. I, I suppose the math is helpful. Sure. But not really anymore. Like, right. <laughs> but... <laughs> Up until I, third grade, right? Yeah, I think like homeschooling and stuff like that. I feel like you're taking more because part of school is also learning how to uh, self manage in a group and you know make yeah. friends and and all that as well. It's yep. the same sort of thing as I like. I'd love to go off grid one day if I had the had the means, but I, I'd struggle then when I when even when I kind of you know just you kind of often dreamland thinking about what it'd be like to go build a cabin with a fucking solar panel and get the fuck away from work and everything else and hunt. Right. But I I feel like that in a way would too would be maybe robbing. That's who am I to make that decision for my kids? Yeah. Yeah. To grow up in the fucking bush with nobody around. Yeah. No. I mean, to me, the most important aspect of school is the social aspect. Yeah. Is uh, who are you going to hang out with? What kind of people? Being, you know, that game is the big one. The other one, I don't think that what I've learned, I've learned in school. That just, uh, I, I just don't feel that way. I mean, I've seen a million people who went to school with me and were nothing alike. And I don't feel that we picked up the same thing. And so I'm not overly concerned about education in that regard because I don't really think that it happens in the class. It doesn't take four. Does yeah? Doesn't take. Well, I guess school's ten years, but I've learned more since I, way more since I finished school than I did while I was in it. Right. Exactly. Where did your interest from uh, native native history or native culture come from? Was that something that you learned in that you you took some courses in college or something like that? Or I've heard I've heard you guys talk a bit about that on your podcast. Yeah, highly final. I mean, it's a strange thing. It's. Uh... I've always had it since I was like, I can't even remember when it started. I was always interested in it. Like and, even uh, back in Italy too? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like as in before I could read the kind of thing, I would just be interested in the images and I want to see the illustrated books that way and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I have, uh, it's odd. It definitely is odd. Maybe, maybe it's a past life thing. Who the hell knows, you know, for mystery of the universe. I'm actually native, so. Awesome. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> Ojibwe. Yeah, of course. That's, uh, that's a lot of people between Canada and the United States. Quite a lot. You from a big tribe, Darren? I think there's like uh, less than 2,000 in my band. But that's, you know, there's also... 2002 with my daughters. I haven't registered them yet. <laughs> 2000, yeah. That's the... And it's funny to add the difference between Canada and the US in that regard as far as how they handle things and oh, the pros and cons of the whole thing. I mean, in the long term, natives got screwed over everywhere. 
but the way and the degrees vary from place to place. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to uh, I wanted to jump back for a second here um, to the to the dreaming because I've I've been a f I've been trying to learn how to lucid dream. Actually, well, I kind of I kind of uh, dropped it for a little while here, but we're gonna have a, a lucid dreaming guy in our podcast, and I wondered if that's something since you have pretty intense dreams and you've got more of an open mind than most people about dreams. Do you ever try lucid dreaming, or can you? Or yeah, I mean it's. Um... I remember as a kid, I would get, a, I think most kids do, but I got a lot of nightmares of this really scary stuff that it was, sleeping often was a very anxiety-driven thing that would freak me out quite a bit. Eventually, as I guess as a survival mechanism, I started being able to, you know, the first time I had the experience of being able to realize that I was dreaming without waking up, I was mm -hmm. as happy as I could be because suddenly I could direct the dream and turn it into something else other than this dramatic loss of control, nightmare, ugly thing. And then, oddly enough, I've noticed that a huge change happened since um, since I started doing martial arts. I noticed that the kind of... Um, I never really had those kind of nightmares anymore. They just completely... It's weird how a physical practice seemed to completely change my dreaming life in that regard. Wow. That's yeah. weird. I'd never have, I, I can only actually remember, I'm sure I've had a few, but I can only actually remember one fucking nightmare I've had through my whole life that stuck with me since I was a kid, and it's super late. Like, I'm just walking super down. Super Lame? Yeah, I'm just walking down a trail in the bush, and it's like dusk. Then I hear like a growl, and then I wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only bad dream I've had that stuck with me my whole life. I, I still really? think of it from time to time. Wow. I don't dream a lot. I, it might be the pot, maybe. <laughs> or maybe. you are so deep into it that you don't remember anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it could be that. So did that help you sleep, too? So after you started this physical practice did that also change your sleeping pattern and your dreaming well i always slept pretty well other than when i was having some nasty nightmare it was um it was just that um somehow it translated even to my subconscious i guess that i didn't have this sense of powerlessness and just i felt that i mean my dreams remained uh, not often, but sometimes they were still pretty damn violent. But suddenly I was no longer the victim of the violence. It was some scary, crazy thing coming at me. And I could unleash hell on them, which was considerably <laughs> better on them than on me. So I was quite pleased with the results. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'd like to start lucid dreaming again a little bit more. I've only done it a couple times, but... Uh... Kind of envious of those people that had those young experiences. You've when got one there. before. I've never. I've yeah, never, yeah. No, I've had. I've had managed to have a couple, but I've never known I was dreaming until I woke up. Yeah. I was like, oh, is I was dreaming. Sometimes I wonder if I'm dreaming when I'm at work. Well, one thing that you can do that I've seen that tend to work quite a bit is uh, if you really want to do it, have an alarm or you know just change the conditions in which you sleep. Like for example, if you're used to sleeping in total darkness. Crack the window open a little bit, or have a light on that makes your dream that makes your sleep a lot lighter. Ah. You start waking up, you kind of open your eyes, you drift back in and out of sleep. 
<clears throat> so that there's less separation between being fully awake or fully asleep. And it's a lot easier to, as you're drifting in and out, to be able to dream and yet be semi-conscious of what's going on. Yeah, that's a good point. Other thing you can do is just set an alarm. That way, you know, it's probably a shitty night of sleep because you keep waking yourself up. But that also means that you don't go so deep that you're conscious mind is completely gone i have a three month old i could use that as my alarm yeah exactly you can definitely well but you know what when you have a three month old you've done it for so many days by then that all you care like you fall back into the deepest sleep in about three seconds because as soon as you can you know you'll fall asleep against the door or something you don't need to uh, i think is if you are well rested and you give yourself a weird night that way you can pull it off if you're so deprived of sleep you just well, I remember once um, you know, when my daughter was probably about three months or something when uh, I hear my wife saying, uh, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you think I'm doing? And, you know, I'm up, in, I'm sitting up in bed and I'm rocking the baby back and forth, except for the fact that the baby is asleep in her crib. I was dreaming that I was rocking the baby because I was by then so delirious and I was moving up and down in bed like I'm rocking the baby. But no, that wasn't. So I was like, yeah, I think I need some sleep. <laughs> so I got a crazy question for you because we, we talk a lot on, well, one of my main interests and one of our main interests in Grimeric is uh, UFOs. And we've had some some pretty well-known ufologists on the show. and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I just figured I should ask you about uh, about that. Any any strange uh, UFO experiences? Anything? Any thoughts on it? I mean, I I know uh, you know Rogan did his uh, his little show there on it um, a little while back, right? But uh, yeah, I wondered what you thought. I thought I don't think a whole lot in terms of um, <clears throat> you know the way I look at stuff is there's stuff that I experience directly and. Um, all I can talk about really is my experience. Anything else is a hearsay. So I try not to have too strong opinions about stuff that I have limited experience on. Yeah. Um, as far as experience, I've had moments where I've seen stuff that I'm like, what the hell was that? And, you know, could be, I'm sure there could be explanation or maybe not. You know, I remember seeing basically what was very clearly an airplane just flying up in the sky with the blinking light going at a certain speed, you know, everything very predictable. And all of a sudden taking off in the opposite direction at four times the speed it had before in a zigzag pattern. And I was like, yeah, that was not an airplane. Okay, I got that far. So, you know, what does that mean? I have no idea. For all it, I know, it could have been, well, actually, that's the thing. I don't know what it could have been because it's nothing that come to mind in the logic we would explain it. But I'm not sold on, oh, that was a UFO for sure. I saw little green aliens flying around. I don't know. You know, I have no idea. I yeah, have seen yeah. stuff in the sky that moves weird. Um, that's about it. Yeah. No, I like that uh, that attitude. I've got another uh, listener question here from, from Joe Payne via Twitter. Yep. He's asking about the warrior's philosophy of love. Of uh, love? Of love? Of love. Yeah. I would need more, I guess it really depends on where he's going with that, what exactly he means by it. 
I can see several different ways to <clears throat> go that route. Um, while I think on that, if you guys want to take just a one minute, I need to take something for my throat because I keep having an itch in here. So if we want to do a tiny edit here, I'll yep. just yep, no problem at all. Something real quick so that my voice comes back. I'll be back with you guys in thirty seconds. Sure. on oh yeah sorry oh, now we're here there we go so um <laughs> so the question what was it the warriors uh well uh, yeah all it says is ask him about the warriors philosophy of love how about like duncan well, trussell would say you love yourself first <laughs> let, let's go off on a tangent and we may answer his question we may not i have no idea depends on which way he meant it and i'm not exactly sure but um one thing that I happened to write at some point, um, I forgot exactly the precise phrasing, but something along the line that's the what's truly badass is developing the strength to be kind, even when life is not so kind. And to me, that's what being tough is all about. It's uh, yeah. fighting like a god, becoming this... Um, concentrate of willpower intensity fighting ability whether physical or mental or you know developing all those so-called warrior qualities to me that's the prerequisite to then what do you use it for what do you put that talent at what service do you put it what use are you going to put it to and in my mind you know the whole point for doing all that is to be able to expand the range of kindness expand the range of love in that regard expand the range of you know the softer sweeter feelings balance them with this tough stuff which allows you to have the softer sweeter feelings because one of the things that in many cases is hard to keep that open caring empathic attitude toward other people because we get our guard up we defend ourselves a lot we are scared of getting hurt we are scared of bad things happening so we put the guard up because we feel vulnerable and so we put up this facade of toughness all the time in order to uh, um, protect ourselves real tough is you know how to take pain you know how to take abuse you know how to stay strong despite being hurt so you're less scared of getting hurt, which means that you're less in need of put up this facade of toughness, of keeping your guard up, about not letting people in, about not loving fully, about holding back. And you can let go because you're not so damn afraid. Because you're not so afraid of a challenge. You're not so afraid of getting slammed down emotionally or physically or in any other way. So to me, 
real toughness and ability to love go hand in hand. Mm. Very good answer. Yeah. It reminds me of the Enter the Dragon quote. Did you ever hear that? The art of fighting without fighting. Yep. Big time. No, I mean, because that's what it's about, right? Otherwise, what's the point? It's like, oh, you're a big, tough, scary guy. Boo-hoo-hoo. So what? Who cares? It's not really all that interesting at the end of the day. It is interesting if that's giving you the strength to become uh, better to your three-month-old daughter when she cries at night and all you want to do is just bang your head against the wall and throw the baby from the window because you want to sleep. It's human to feel that way, but having the strength not to do it and, if anything, to show a smile and to be, to be able to be nice and sweet even when lesser people would not be able to because they are too frustrated or angry, that's what it's all about. You know, that's real strength to me. That's real toughness. And that's the primary reason why one should develop that strength and toughness is to be able to be as nice of a human being as you possibly can in as many contexts as you possibly can. And that's something that's achievable for every person on the planet, no matter what what stature they were born with. What, yeah. It, it transcends race, sex, uh, sex everything. Big Be time. better than you were yesterday. Yep, absolutely. And at the end of the day, it really is about one kind gesture, one moment where you could uh, snap and be nasty and aggressive and yell and be frustrated or find that strength to endure whatever is frustrating you and be able to still open your hand and give something good to somebody who needs it at that moment. That's funny because actually we, me and my, that's what actually changes the world. You know, that be the change you want to be in the world. Uh-huh. Shit is true. Like me and my buddy were talking about this the other weekend on, on some fucking mushrooms. And we got into talking about how fucking, we started talking about that. And then we're talking about how that's not bullshit because it's like fucking back in the day when the southern states were super racist. That shit didn't just stop one day because somebody said stop being racist. It, it was like regular people every day. The guy who said fuck this guy one day started saying, you know what? This guy, he's here on the bus every morning going to work. You know, maybe he's not so bad. And then, you know, one other guy did that. And over time, it, it built to the point of where we are today where it's not totally gone, but it's better than it's been in a long, long time, ever. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. That's how it's done. That's how, because, you know, otherwise you do feel powerless. If it's about uh, changing the world tomorrow, well, good luck. That's not going to be, you know, tomorrow I'm just going to solve all environmental problems and make sure that people don't shoot each other. It's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But what you can do is have that impact on uh, the people you run into, the people you interact with on a day-to-day basis. And do put that energy right there to try to touch them in one way or another. That's where you do say, you know, it's a ripple effect kind of thing. You know, you're just throwing the pebble in the pond and uh, hoping that the circles go as fast as far as possible. Yeah, or like the net of Indra. And you never know how far they'll go, right? Like you, you, you be nice to the the checkout lady at the grocery store you know she was having a shitty day that makes her day better even so a she smile. does something on the way home and yeah, yep. yeah even a smile yeah, yeah. nowadays absolutely nowadays 
Yeah, like, nowadays a smile is good enough. Like that's more than you're getting most of the time. Usually it's like, fuck you, buddy. This is my sidewalk. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh psychedelic experiences, Darren, yeah, we actually actually we recorded a podcast, uh we called it uh Psilocybus Grimericus, uh, Enter the Mushroom. And we had uh like two and a half hours or so of, of Darren and somebody else <clears throat> telling us how uh cosmic lovey the world was <laughs> have you uh have you had any uh experiences like that uh you know kind of making it like i've heard you guys talk about it on the podcast a little bit like duncan trust and all about you know kind of realizing the the oneness of everything yeah yeah definitely and i think psychedelic experiences come in multiple shapes sometimes they do involve psychedelic agents Sometimes they happen just in weird, strange fashion from, uh, like, I've had some pretty strong experience that actually didn't involve any so-called drugs <clears throat> in any way, shape, or form. And still, my state of consciousness was pretty out there in some regard. Sometimes it could have been as easy as, um, I remember one time just sitting on the beach and probably the altering effect was due from looking at the sun too much, which definitely can make you hallucinate and do stuff to you. But I remember just being a whole state of consciousness in which I was shifting. I don't know if it was, I was not really formally meditating, but I was entering some strange state on my own or what it was. Other times there were even things like physical pain or you know when you are in serious physical pain it can affect your consciousness to some there are many many things that can change your consciousness not exclusively like when we talk about psychedelics immediately in everybody's mind is connected to hallucinogenic drugs that certainly is a big part not the only one and uh, it can come really in a lot of shapes in that regard but yes those kind of insights are definitely powerful the key things is are you able to bring them back in day-to-day -day reality or not? Because that's what, in my mind, it boils down to. That's where it gets interesting. If you are, we are in business, you know, then you can really do something that transform your way of being. Uh, if it's just an experience that begins and ends during those few hours, well, I mean, it's fun and all, but it's not the same thing. It doesn't quite have that, that same powerful impact got to be treated with a certain reverence just like yeah. anything anything any other dis anything else right absolutely you can go absolutely. to church every sunday and fucking you know then tell your neighbor to go fuck himself the next day right you know, that's kind of like i forget where i heard it but they were talking about how fuck for that one hour a week when everyone's in church everyone's getting along you know every race everyone's hugging each other getting along having a great time and then the rest of the week they're just act like each other don't exist Right, definitely. Don't you have another uh, oh, yeah, another question, Dan? One, one more listener question from uh, David Thon. He's actually a fellow Albertan. Um, what's your take on the Tao of Pooh? I still read it from time to time. It's a good reminder of what's important and what's not. I skimmed through it because I didn't fully read it from cover to cover, so my answer may be influenced by that. I got a feeling that it had, uh, <clears throat> it definitely had some good ideas. I felt it went a little too much on a 
stereotype of what Taoism is. It was too much uh, go with the flow, do nothing, uh, you know. Not, it's like almost, I don't want to say the fortune cookie version of Taoism because it sounds too negative and I didn't think it was that bad. I thought there were some good things, but I also find it going a little too somewhat turning it into a stereotype of what my understanding of Taoism is. Now, that doesn't mean that my understanding is the correct one. Maybe they are totally right. But for my taste, it was a little too far one way. I've never read it. Is that poo as in shit? Is that what it's supposed to be? No, as I in think it's poo Winnie the Pooh, the Pooh uh, As in Winnie the Pooh. Oh, <laughs> okay. Winnie the Pooh is a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh and Dora. I see all kinds of that shit all the time. Oh, yeah, of course. I've, uh, My daughter can speak better okay. Spanish than I can. Yeah, man, the amount of cartoons that I've watched over the last few years is insane. Some of the most, what have I seen lately? I've been, uh, I've watched, I think, every single episode of My Little Pony about like 15 times. I'm going crazy um at least my little point for a while she was watching the freaking teletubbies i wanted to shoot myself <laughs> that was just the most painful thing ever i had uh what else powerpuff girls you name it luckily there's a lot of cool disney like i mulan is kicks ass i love mulan but yeah man the amount of cartoons that you watch when you have a kid is off the charts I try and find the ones nowadays with the technology. I can look for the ones that I used to think was cool when I was a kid. So I'm pulling up like the old Garfield and Friends and the shit from back in the 80s. No, that's awesome. The problem is that then, like, when if you do like YouTube or something and you pull them up, then they see all the icons on the right hand side of all the other videos that are associated with that. And they go, I want to watch these. And I'm like, no, not that crap. Please, no. Then you're stuck watching. Then they figure out how to use YouTube. Of course. I still remember when she was two years old, she was adamant about she wanted this one video. And I click on it and it was some sick bastard had taken uh, this clip of uh, one of my little ponies, Frinky, Pinkie Pie. Already when you, have, you are in a grown man and you've watched something called Pinkie Pie, there's something weird going on there. But somebody has taken a three second clip of this pony going, Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> oh, no. And they looped it for 15 minutes straight. And she was, you know, we're going to watch the whole thing. And I'm like, no, I'm not watching the whole thing. It's like, I realized there was no budget on that one. And I remember after 40 seconds, I wanted to tear out my eye, expecting that it was already about five hours had gone by. And I realized it was 40 seconds. It was the longest 15 minutes of my life. I'm going to have to find that clip for the intro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pure pain. We actually played a. I found a clip. Uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but it had. It was My Little Pony, but they had added random bleeps in all over the place, and it made it sound super fucked up. It was crazy. Yeah, that that was good. Yeah, man, tough stuff. So I guess we should start wrapping it up. Is there anything that uh, that you want to mention that we didn't cover? Anything you want to uh, plug, kind of thing? No, whatever you guys want. Where can uh, where can people track you down uh, on Twitter or Facebook or website or anything like that where people sure. can, can find Twitter you? Twitter is Dibolel, so it's the initial 
D as in Daniel, and then my last name. So it's the letter D and then Bolelli. It's B as in boy, O-L-E-L-L-I. Um, websites, if you look, the drunken, if you just type my name, you know, Daniele Bolelli, it's Daniel with the E at the end, and then my last name, Bolelli. You just Google it, all that stuff will pop up, you know, the drunken Taoist um, website, my own personal website, which is just my name, um, Twitter, all of that kind of stuff will start showing up. Yeah, cool. And we'll link to, you know, your books too. Um, awesome. You've got, uh, what, three three books that you've yeah. written or plus the one, no, three, right? Three, three. Yeah, yeah. Any, uh, any more in the future coming? I'm sure the problem is um, finding the time. You know, I have like a ton of material already written on multiple books. Uh, it's just finding the time to dedicate to really just going for it. Because, you know, my writing days is I have two hours here and then maybe in uh, five days I have another three hours. It's like, it's not like I can really sit down and just say, cool, I'm just going to focus on writing and uh, so it makes it a bit complicated and challenging, but I still love it. I have fun doing it. So one way or another, I make it happen. Yeah, that's like when we had Dennis McKenna on, he said, time become, the older you get, the more you realize time is our most valuable resource. Seriously. I like what you said about time on some of your podcasts, you know, like people just having to make an effort to find the time for the, to the stuff they love to do. Yeah. Yeah. Big time, you need yeah. it. It's yeah. um, it's absolutely essential. Well, thanks a lot uh, for coming on, Daniele. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you on again. Maybe if a new book comes out, or maybe uh, maybe we could have you and Rich on sometime because I really like uh, I really like sure. some of the stuff he he has to say as well. So he'd love to. So yeah, just um, shoot me a message or, or pass it on to Rich or if you have his email, shoot it to him. He'll be, he'll be glad to jump on. Well, that was our chat with Daniele Bellelli. So what'd you think, Darren? That was a good one. Um, kind of, uh, the accent's a little reminiscent of RPJ. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. So I felt like uh, talking to RPJ was like practice because, you know, I don't have any, any trouble understanding Daniele. Yeah, you know what I feel a little bad about is... Um, He's quite the martial, martial artist, eh? He's like a fifth-degree black belt and stuff. I don't really think we touched on that a lot. No, I don't think that's really... Wasn't really where the conversation needed to go. No, I know, but a lot of people might have been interested in that, so maybe we'll have him back on. When we have him on again one day, we'll, uh, we'll talk about his, his martial artistry. Martial artisticness? Martial artisticness? Because <laughs> a lot of people seem to be into that, but I, that's just something that I'm not quite uh, interested in myself right now. So No, I'm not, I'm not a big MMA fan at all. Um, 
Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, you guys should check out his podcast for sure. Like I say, I'm sure most of you have heard it already, but if you haven't, it's uh, the Drunken Taoist, Taoist podcast, and uh, it's a gooder. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. I'm really glad we got a chance to talk with him. Yeah, hopefully we'll have a roundtable with him and Richie Mon, or like we say, we've been talking to Richie already about uh, coming on uh, by himself probably sometime at the end of March. Then, of course, we booked uh, John Perkins. Uh, we'll be interviewing him in the beginning of March, too, so we're looking forward to that. Yes, that will be one of my favorites. That uh, <laughs> that book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, um, that reached a, a wide range of people. Like, I had friends back in, in Vancouver talking about that book. You know, friends that would normally not be interested in, in you know, that type of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but, of course, our next uh, episode will be with Artie uh, Sixkiller Clark talking about star people and uh, Native American folklore and a, a bit of... Uh, a bit of like, uh, I guess, um, her new book too, right? Yeah, like the Mayan stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, what was her new book? Her new book's going to be the one on the Mayans and shit. Yeah, more of the South American uh, lore of the Star People. Yeah, I'm looking forward. That was a great chat. So I'm looking forward to to popping that one out. And uh, after that, we've got the the Heart Math guys, Howard Martin is uh is going to be on about heart math and the global coherence initiative and that's like super fascinating scientific stuff on our heart resonance <laughs> and kind of like the heart and brain connection yeah of course if you guys have anybody you want us to to chat with uh, don't hesitate to to send through your suggestions yeah or questions for the ones that we have coming up yeah, uh, one thing we don't mention too often too is that uh, we are, we're always looking for music. So if you or any or any of your buddies or anything like that have have some music that you're looking to get some exposure, go ahead and and send it down, and we'll we'll make sure you get uh, full credit in the show notes like we do every week. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of which, we'll be playing. Uh, you guys all know Jagger. He's been on the show a few times. Uh, his one of his bands is responsible for the Grimerica theme song. Uh, we're gonna play a song of his. I wish I had my phone in front of me so I could tell you what it's called. Oh, I thought that was what the name was. But um, <laughs> it's by High School Sweetheart. Mm. I'm gonna look it up here. Actually, just keep talking about something. All right, I'll keep talking. Well, I'd, I mean, we always want your feedback too. So my email is uh, graham at grimerica dot com. That's G R A H A M. And Darren's is Darren at Grimerica.com. And all the hate mail goes to feedback at Grimerica.com. Or is that one .ca? Feedback's .ca. Yeah, uh, I'll dot probably change CA. it to .com soon. Yeah, it's probably a good idea. Yeah, and of course, we always got the P.O. box open now. It's on the website under contact. Um, so you guys can always check that out if you want to send some shit or some postcards or stuff like that. It's yeah, always good to get mail. It's yeah, fun yeah, to get it's mail. fun to get mail. I keep I keep going there, and I'm having I'm having a problem getting Amazon packages there. I want to talk to you about that some other time. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll actually we'll be getting that mind mayor in from, uh, from oh Barry yeah right Moon soon. That should come in next week. Hopefully. Yeah. So yeah, well, feel free to send us some shit. Uh, Jared sent us some shit a while ago. It's pretty cool. Some candies and shit from New Zealand. Yeah, send us a hard copy picture of your Grimerican flyer posted somewhere. 
Cool. I'm going to have a couple more pictures for you this weekend, buddy. Sounds good, brother. Uh, that's awesome. Remember, guys, use the portal when you can, the Amazon portal, of course. That's about it, buddy. That's about oh, did it. You, did you tell us the name of that song? Hiatus. Hiatus oh, by hiatus. High School oh, Sweetheart. So that's on. what's going to play us out here. All right, man. Thanks again. Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, you'll find links to everything we talked about in the show notes and all the music you heard. See you fuckers next week. Ha, ha, ha.